Today we turn together in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We pick up in the Sermon on the Mount with the Lord's Prayer, where, Lord willing, we will spend a number of weeks together going through each petition. Today, the invocation, our Father in heaven, and we read verses 9 through 13. Hear now the word of God. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And now, loved ones, what does the catechism wisely teach us about this opening invocation? If you can turn to page 3, we will join together and confess our faith using the words of the Heidelberg Catechism on the top of page 3. Why did Christ command us to address God thus, our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence for and trust in God, which are to be the ground of our prayer, namely, that God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our parents refuse us earthly things. Why is it added in heaven? That we might have no earthly thought of the heavenly majesty of God and from his almighty power expect all things necessary for body and for soul. Amen. Loved ones, what is it that shapes what you love and worship and think about and spend time doing? What is it that shapes our goals? How we treat other people? How we spend our time, our money, how we live? What shapes those things is what we think about God. Pastor Ian Hamilton, he's in Scotland, says, if you think God is indulgent and not holy, you and I will live carelessly and selfishly. On the other hand, if we think that God is harsh, we will live bitterly and suspiciously. But if we see that God is a father who spared not his only son, Jesus Christ our Lord, but gave him up for us all, we will live by the Spirit of God, thankful, reverent, adoring, confident, and joyful lives. Theology shapes and determines how we live. And the Lord's Prayer, in many ways, is the Bible in miniature. The essential truths of the Scriptures are right here in this prayer. And how we pray is connected with how we live. It reminds us of Calvin's Catechism, 1541. Question one, what is the chief end and goal of human life, he said? 
to know God. And then 100 years later, the Westminster picks that up and says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What ties these things together, Liam Gallagher says, is the priority of God in our thinking and living. Not just knowing about God, but knowing God, experiencing God. And that gives our lives a more gracious, joyful, stable, steadfast, and caring quality. We want to look today at the opening part of the Lord's Prayer. What does it mean first to pray to our Father? We can't know God apart from prayer. Prayer is communing with our Father. It is an offering up of our desires to God, as the Catechism says, for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Jesus, as we confess our sins and give thankful acknowledgement for his mercies. In Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, we find that Jesus is responding to the disciples who ask him a question. Do you know what question they ask kids? Maybe you ask mom and dad, where is the cereal? Or can I play with my car? The disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. If you want to learn to be a quarterback, Tom Brady might be the best pick for how to teach you how to be a long-lasting 45-year-old NFL quarterback. If you want to be a really good artist or a piano player, I bet you have people in mind that you know would help you along that way. Here is the Son of God incarnate teaching the disciples then and us now how to pray. This is a precious prayer. Jesus himself constantly prayed, so he's not a huckster who's saying, well, here is what I'm going to tell you, but I'm not going to really do it. Jesus communed with his Father. And as Michael Reeves says, prayer is learning to enjoy what Jesus has always enjoyed in communion with God. The Lord's Prayer teaches us, because we all need to learn, don't we? We learn how to pray from the Psalms, from Paul's prayers, Ephesians, Colossians are examples. Good prayer books can help. The Valley of Vision. And here we learn from the Lord's words himself in the Lord's Prayer. This is a model for prayer. It's not saying that every prayer has to always be this way, but it's structuring how we pray. And there are six petitions, meaning six requests, six parts to it, kids. The first three have to do with God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. The next three have to do with our bread, daily provision. Our sin, forgive us. Our temptations, they go together. Meaning, as we pray, we must not forget where we begin. Derek Thomas says this, so I want you to hear it from him into our experience as a church. Our prayers reveal a lot about us, don't they? 
Sometimes we struggle to pray at all. We know that. Life is out of sync, out of focus. We are disoriented. The heat of trials weighs down on us. The world, Satan, and our sinful flesh work against us in praying. Our pride, our self-sufficiency. We're so busy. We're so distracted. We struggle with discipline. We all struggle. None of us has graduated to university certificate of praying. Like we're, we're there. Like we walk away. Like we put it on the wall. No. We all have to learn here. Thomas says, prayers with little or no worship. Prayers that focus only on our needs, usually our health, reveal a distorted, adamic bent. Meaning, they reveal self-centeredness, that by nature we're curved in on ourselves. Thomas says the majority of prayers are organ recitals. Prayers for a liver, a kidney, a leg. It's not that we shouldn't pray for those things, he says. But our preoccupation with that, over and above worshiping God and God's kingdom, is itself a reflection of how little we understand why we desire good health. We desire it, why, loved ones? So that the person we're praying for lives for Jesus. If a friend is struggling with sickness, we pray for them in that. We pray for healing. And we pray, what would this mean for God's name to be honored here? For God's will to be done here? That's how the Lord's Prayer helps us structure how we pray and how we live. Prayer is talking to God. But sometimes the talk is all about us. You know these conversations with, with someone. You spend 10 minutes and all they do is talk about themselves. And you spend another half hour and they still just talk about themselves, showing no interest in you. Prayer can be like that. Where we, where we can actually not want to listen to what God has to say. God is patient. He is kind. He responds to you. And he shows us here how prayer is to begin. Our Father, praising God, does not come naturally to us. But God-centered prayer realizes the promise of prayer is God himself. Being in the presence of God is the greatest reward of prayer. Do you remember last week? The hypocrites, the pagans, their religion is an ignorance of God. They don't know God as their father. We need to grow here. Our prayer as a church in these weeks ahead at Emmaus Road is, Lord, teach us how to pray. Make us a people of prayer that we would grow together in this. This is not an individualistic thing. It's corporate. And it's not by guilt. Michael Reeves again. I hope you see I am immersing myself in the wise fathers of the faith, dead and alive, as we go through this. I love Reeves' book. It's short, Enjoying God in Prayer. This is grounded in the gospel. 
Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. So as we pray, just as faith is awakened by the gospel, so is prayer itself. Faith is trusting in the person and work of Christ. It comes by hearing the word, by the spirit of God. Faith and prayer, then, are birthed by the gospel, the good news of Christ and who he is and what he did. The gospel that we hear, the gospel we sing, the gospel we see visibly in the sacraments. Prayer is the response of the heart to the beauty of Jesus in the gospel. I hope this reorients us because sometimes we can just kind of be on a a beat ourselves up. We don't pray enough. What's wrong with us? We have to refocus this whole discussion. In prayer, we are reminded of God's providence to care for us, his power to help us, his grace to forgive us. Prayer is talking to God, first and foremost, about God. It's the chief part of thankfulness God requires of us. And God will give his grace and spirit only to those who earnestly and without ceasing, persistently, ask them of him and give thanks unto him for them. Heidelberg 116. We pray to our Father. Our doctrine of God is seen there. Isn't that amazing? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. God is not mother. So as Kevin DeYoung says, we can't just say, well, I'm going to substitute mother for father. DeYoung says, yes, the Bible sometimes describes God with maternal characteristics, like being tender like a nursing mother, Isaiah 49. Or like a hen brooding over her young, Matthew 23. We don't have to be embarrassed about those things. But that's not the same as naming God as mother. Do you see the distinction? Because in the world today, a lot of people say, well, just call God whatever you want. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a biological gender. God is not male or female. Throughout the Bible, God reveals himself as king, as a husband, as a father, but never as a queen or a wife or a mother. This is not about the superiority of men over women, DeYoung says. It's the way God has chosen to reveal himself with masculine titles and pronouns in the word of God. God is father. But whose father is he? Is he the father of everyone? The Bible says he is the creator of everyone. In God we live and move and have our being. But he's not the father of everyone. When Jesus referred to God as his father, the Pharisees were enraged because they knew that Jesus was making himself equal with God, which he is. Jesus is the unique, eternal son of God, the only begotten of the father, the only eternal, natural son of God. Before we come to Jesus by faith, God is not our father. We are cut off from God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, 
the devil. By nature, then, we can't pray the Lord's Prayer unless something is done. What is that? Do you know that Jesus never addressed God in any other way except by calling him Father? Every time he prays, he prays to his Father with one exception. When he's on the cross, he cries out in the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus, for our sakes, was disinherited, that we might be inherited. He was excluded, that we might be accepted. He suffered and died for our sins in our place, so we who by nature are enemies of God would become children of God. The great exchange. Christ takes our sin. We receive his righteousness by faith. So how do we get to call God our Father? You must be born again. Meaning you must trust in Jesus by faith through the work of the Spirit. By the new birth, we have the nature of children. We're born of God, John 1. You call God your Father now because you're adopted into his family. Jesus is your elder brother. Around you today are your brothers and sisters. Every Christian around the world is your brother and sister. Every person then who lives is not your brother or sister. Every person is your neighbor. We are to love our neighbor. Believers are your brothers and sisters. You've been brought out of Adam into Jesus, the son of God's love. You're justified freely by his grace. You're adopted, meaning you receive an inheritance. You're joint heirs with Christ. Jesus, who reigns and rules over all, is your king, your brother. You have what he has by faith. All the rights of the sons of God. That impacts how we pray. You're an heir of God. Your inheritance is to be with the Lord in glory, majesty, beauty, blessedness, beyond the greatest things that you can imagine. You have a new name. You're not a slave to sin and Satan. You're a son of God. You're a child of the king. In the first century world, only boys could inherit in a state. But now Paul says in Galatians 3, men and women who trust in Jesus are co-heirs of the grace of life. And so women, when you hear that you are a son of God, that's what that means. What an amazing blessing of grace. God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. So that means the work of the Spirit is in your heart to communicate to you and me the sense and the assurance of your sonship that you belong to God with an inheritance, with a new name. Behold what manner of love the Father has given, that we should be called the children of God. Do you see how passages are all over the Bible about this theme? God is love. 
because God is triune. Love flows between the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit in constant interaction. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son. And now God the Father wants you to receive and rest in his fatherly love. You're not slaves to sin, Romans 8, but you have received the spirit of adoption. So don't fall back into fear, but cry out, Romans 8, 15, meaning expressive of the deepest emotion, the deepest grief, the deepest joy. Cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. You might not feel like it. You might wake up and you might today be distracted and discouraged and weighed down with guilt or fear or a number of other emotions. The Spirit says, you belong to God. And if you're an heir of God and a fellow heir of Christ, guess what? You will suffer. Romans 8. And your suffering is not a sign that God doesn't love you. It's a mark for those who are in Christ of the authenticity of your sonship. So prayer is not one-way conversation. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, Romans 8. So in prayer, God speaks through us to God, Reeve says. You're brought into the divine fellowship The Spirit of the Son cries to the Father through us as we struggle. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, intercedes for us. He always lives, Hebrews 7, to pray for you. The Spirit praying within you. The Son praying for you at the Father's right hand. Our prayers being weak and jumbled and mumbled and struggling. Here's the analogy one person uses. Kids, maybe you've gone to the flower bed or outside in a forest and picked flowers for mom. And maybe in those flowers you've picked, there's some weeds and there's some dirt and there's some worms maybe. It's all mixed up. And then maybe your dad would take them and clean them up and give them to your mom like that. I cannot say I've done this. I I wish I had, but I would be completely lying. I should. This is from the fourth century. Maybe they had had good ideas back then. That's what the picture of the Bible is for us. Our prayers, which are mumbled and jumbled and struggling, are cleaned up by the Spirit and brought by the Son in perfection to the throne of the Father. In union with God the Son, the Spirit works in your heart. So you call out in faith, Abba, Father. We come out of the dark. We saw that last week. The secret places of our lives. The places we've told no one. We want no one to know. God knows. We bring them to God. We confess our sorrow over our sin. And we have joy and forgiveness in Christ. Because you come to the Father in Jesus' name. You come to the Father as an adopted child through Christ. The gospel 
to address God as Father is to understand the gospel well. To exercise faith. To believe God's promise, even though our coldness and our guilt screams against us, to believe that we relate to God as our Father. Where, secondly? In heaven. What does that word mean, children, in heaven? The Bible talks about heaven in a couple different ways. One, the birds of the heavens, meaning the sky above. The universe, the heavens declare the glory of God. In this sense, God in heaven, the unlimited power, glory, majesty, and sovereignty that belongs to God. Not that God is contained somewhere, but that he is exalted above all things. We live under the sky, right? So we live under the authority and majesty of God who is in heaven, who is everywhere present, reigning. And this word heaven frames the first couple of parts of the Lord's Prayer. Do you see that? Our Father in heaven, and then verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the scene like in heaven right now? If the veil was pulled away, what would you see right now? We would see angels crying out, trillions of angels, worshiping and exalting the name of God forever. What's the scene here on earth? Isaiah chapter 6. All the day long, God's name is despised and blasphemed. It couldn't be more different. This is reminding us of what reality really is like. God is infinite. He is all-powerful. And we approach him in reverence. He's in heaven. And when we struggle with prayer, part of it, in addition to our own weakness, is that we sometimes get bored with God. Something like a person who lives by the mountains can just get so used to it, they don't recognize the beauty of Pike's Peak in their backyard. And if you and I went there, we would be amazed. But we are so prone to be dulled to beauty. A flower along the path. Calvin says, everything around you in creation shouts the glory of God. Look at that flower, kids. No one cut it out of paper. The colors, the design, pointing to the beauty of our Savior. We who have been dulled to beauty need to see things in a fresh way. Not a different way. It's the same truth, but in a fresh Holy Spirit given through the word of God, opening our hearts to see way. The God before whom no one can stand face to face and live. The God who showed himself to Daniel as the ancient of days. That God is your father. What we need when we pray is less awareness of ourselves and more awareness of God. Not that you would think less of yourself, 
Self-pity is another form of pride. Not that you would think more of yourself, that is pride, but that we would think of ourselves less and think of God more, like a pendulum packer says. Let your thoughts of God swing back and forth, taking ever wider swings. He is my Father. He is God in heaven. Ponder that. He is God in heaven again. He is my Father. Try to take that in. We can't. The sovereign Lord of the universe desires to hear you pray. We come to him in reverence. He's in heaven. But we come to him in intimacy. Because reverence without intimacy is coldness or distance. Here's a Puritan of many years past. There's a man walking down the street with his son or his daughter. He's walking in front of his child. And he picks up his son or his daughter. And he says, I love you. And the boy or girl says, I love you too, Dad. They keep walking. Was the child more legally a son or daughter in their father's arms when they were walking on the street? No. But in his or her father's arms, he or she was experiencing their sonship. That's what the Holy Spirit helps us in. Crying out, Abba, Father. Intimacy. Maybe you hear this word, Father, and you struggle with it. Because maybe your father was difficult, was evil. Maybe your father hurt you, neglected you, abandoned you. Maybe you've said to your father, you are not a father to me. One in four children live without a father in this country right now. The catechism wisely tells us not to have an earthly thought of the heavenly majesty of God. Isn't that interesting? Meaning, don't project your view of fatherhood onto God the Father. We want to hear if you have pain there. And listen, but Jesus, in a sense, is saying, this is the perfect father. He doesn't harm you. Your heavenly father is not like any earthly father you ever had who failed you. And if you have a wonderful heavenly father, as I'm blessed to have, and many of you as well, praise God for that. Even the most wonderful, godly father is a pale comparison, though, of our heavenly father. A comparison, yes, but think of the Father, as Paul says, the God of all mercy and the Father of all comfort. You can trust him. You can rest on him. He's kind. He's holy. He's merciful. He's good. You can expect from him all things necessary for body and soul. By the new birth, loved ones, you have the status and the nature of his child. Meaning, you now 
over time, and I, begin to want the things God wants. You have new desires in you, new priorities. And now we say, I really want your will to be done, Father. The Holy Spirit is helping our desires to echo God's as we pray. You come into the presence of God praying to one who has all the resources you will need. Body and soul. Life and in death. As it appears that our dear sister Ruth is near death, she has everything she needs in her heavenly Father. What trust this should cause in our lives, what wonder and amazement. You are his child that sends you pondering through all eternity and it changes how we live now. He won't leave you. He won't neglect you. He won't say one thing and do another. He won't be too busy to be with you. He won't forget what you have said. He knows what you need before you ask. He promises to provide for you, to protect you. All you could ever need or desire is in the hands of an almighty God who is kind and loving and all-powerful. He has already promised you this because of Christ. How does this impact our living? We're delivered from hypocrisy, delivered from fear of what people think about us, delivered from striving to always do more in our pride and our self-righteousness. There's nothing more to earn. God in Christ has stored up everything for you in heaven. Learning how to pray like this changes how we live. Do you have God as your father? There's fellowship here. Do you see the word? Not my father, that's true, it is personal, my, my. But how does Jesus say throughout this prayer? Our. God is the father of Christians. In corporate worship together, this is why we pray as often as we do together on Sunday. Our children are here worshiping God. We're thankful. They're here right now learning to pray, learning what we confess the to believe the Bible to teach, learning to sing these songs, learning to worship God, and we pray loving God. We pray together as a husband and wife. If you haven't done that ever before or you've struggled with it, ask God to help you, and in humility, go to each other, husband and wife, and say, dear, let's sit down and pray. Let's open up Psalm 145 and read it and just pray one verse from it. The Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. In our homes, with our kids, praying out loud together. It doesn't have to be long. Remember last week? God's not impressed with many words. With your friends, with your roommates. As a church family. I can never pray our Father if I am careless of the needs of the brothers and sisters in the family of God among us. 
I can never pray our Father if I am critical of brothers and sisters and have a spirit that is separating me from them. Nothing kills true prayer more than a spirit of resentment or bitterness or pride that divides brothers and sisters. On the other hand, what marks community is the fact that believers pray together. Reeve says this, communal prayer is the Christian life in a nutshell. The family of God coming together to the Father to share our concerns with him. Our prayer meeting each month wonderfully fosters this love and unity among us. If you pray for someone, your love for them will grow. If you pray with someone, you will be blessed by their prayers, as I was so deeply by your prayers this last Wednesday. At the monthly prayer meeting, we are being family together. We're sharing our Father's compassion. It fosters the unity of the gospel and the love of God among us. The Lord's Prayer is a churchly prayer because the Christian life is a churchly life. When Jesus saves us, he saves us to belong. He grafts us in as branches into a vine, as living stones into the temple, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. God didn't make you a Christian to leave you isolated, but to bring you together to the family of God. This requires the Spirit of God, the grace of God, and real effort to cultivate community and intimacy among us, brothers and sisters, and prayer that God would do that. Because as we pray together, we are reminded of our home. Where is Ruth's home? Where is our home? Psalm 90 says, God is our dwelling place. The word dwelling place means home. We are homesick, longing to be with our Father. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we are going together as pilgrims, home to be with our Father one day in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as the family of God at Emmaus Road, we pray that we would have humility, confidence, joy, and expectation in our prayers. That the love of God, which has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, would come into our lives, that we would experience it afresh, that we would be comforted that you, O oh God, our Father, loves us for the sake of Christ, that we would be confident that you, our Father, want to hear us and commune with us in prayer, together as the family of God here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.